to Life Lessons. We're Jen and Sherry. I'm Jen Stevens, a retired teacher of 28 years and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat. And I'm Sherry Bullock. I've worked in healthcare for over 26 years, and I've been an active volunteer for many organizations. We're both wives and moms, and let's face it, we're the glue that holds it all together in our homes. In our careers, we have always been problem solvers who help others. And that's what we'll be doing here, answering questions you didn't know you had, one smart solution at a time. We're always looking for ways to make our lives easier, help us be more productive, or improve our health and wellness. So let's live our best lives one day at a time, and let's have some fun along the way. everybody. We are so glad you're here today. Welcome to this week's episode of the Life Lessons Podcast. How are you doing today, Sherry? I've been better. Mentally, I'm great. Physically, not so much. We got the same issue going on. You caught it from me long distance. (laughs) (laughs) On Saturday, I threw my back out getting up out of a chair. (laughs) And Sunday night, I threw my back out moving a patient. (laughs) I have never had such scary pain in my life as I had Saturday night in the middle of the night. Like, I'm not kidding. Like, I threw my back out during the day, early in the day, probably in the morning, just getting out of the chair weird. And it just went clench. And I'm like, oh, my muscles clenched up. I think I'll walk two miles on the beach. That should help loosen things up. Okay, that was stupid. So stupid. When I was lying in the bed Saturday night in like one in the morning, I was just, it woke me up and I like couldn't move. Like I was trapped because I'm a stomach sleeper and I sleep on my side. I could literally could, did not have, I was so clenched up. I couldn't roll over. I couldn't move. It felt like stabbing pain. I was like, Chad, he had to help me. And then I had to go to the bathroom and he had to like help me and I couldn't walk. And I was like, what is going on? Oh my gosh. Uh, Trust me. I feel you. I was like, I've never had this before. In the middle of a patient transfer when my back just snapped and I about hit the ground. I had to like crawl out of the room into a chair and sit there for the longest time. And even now, like when I get up out of a chair, I have to like kind of stand up hunched over and then slowly on your on my hands, on my legs. Yes. (laughs) I have to like slowly push up. You don't realize what you use those back muscles to do, even like just leaning over and picking something up. I'm still, I'm like so much better, except still sleeping position is hard. That's the one thing that's not back to normal. It's Wednesday, so this happens Saturday. But sleeping position, I still am not back to normal. Like I tried to lay on my stomach for a little while this morning before it was time to wake up, and it clenched up. Like it keeps clenching up. Yeah. Luckily, I have zero gravity setting on my bed. So that's where I'm most comfortable. If I get in bed and put it in zero gravity, it takes like – it like your feet are raised and your head slightly raised, but it's like in a position where all the pressure's off your lower back. That's what I would need then. I wish I had that. I don't have room for a bed that does all that. (laughs) In our little tiny beach house bedroom, queen is the biggest we could have in there. But I also like to be, you know, flip around while I'm sleeping. But I had to sleep, like on Sunday night, I managed to sleep all night on my back with a pillow under my knees. And I mean, I do not sleep on my back. So it was hard. Like I was hyper aware all night long of I am on my back and I cannot roll over. But literally, I couldn't roll over. So that was helpful. Anyway, your back, you just don't I, like I appreciate how good I feel when I you know, when then something's going wrong. But I'm sorry that you caught my back pain through the through the air. You could have kept that one to yourself. Jen. All right. Well, anyway, <laughs> 
<laughs> well, maybe my next week will be feeling better again. I'm actually going to Colorado next week. And I got my husband telling me, if your back's not better, you are not going. And I'm like, watch me. Exactly. I said, I can be in pain in Colorado just as much as I can be in pain here. That's right. So you got it. Yeah. <laughs> I told my friend I'm going with, I said, you will be in charge of dragging my suitcase around. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> well, each week we like to start out by sharing a touching good news story or customer service shout out. And today we have both in a contribution from Mickey, who was our guest on episode 17, Be the Match, as she shared. That was only 17? Yes. Oh my gosh, it's been so long since 17, it, but it felt like much more recently. Yeah, I feel like we just talked to her. She shared there about her beautiful experience as a bone marrow donor. And if you haven't listened to that one, go back and listen to it because it was wonderful. So this experience Mickey shared is from Anna McLean in Utah. And Anna wrote, I want to share the experience that my husband, seven-year-old autistic sister, and I had today at the Chili's location in Midvale, Utah. Ariana, my little sister, didn't waste any time when our waitress, Lauren, greeted us at our table. Ariana promptly ordered her cheeseburger with pickles, french fries, and chocolate milk before Lauren could even take our drink order. Lauren smiled and told Ariana, okay, I'll be right back with your chocolate milk. When we got our food, I was wondering why Ariana wouldn't touch her cheeseburger, but was going to town on her french fries. I asked her, Ariana, are you going to eat your cheeseburger? She calmly said, no, I don't want it. Cheeseburgers, or Krabby Patties, as we sometimes call them, are her favorite, so this behavior was very strange. So I asked her, why don't you want it? She replied, it's broken. I need another one that's fixed. Then it dawned on me why she wasn't eating it. It's because it was cut in half. Being a child with autism, she has to have certain things in a particular order at all times. One slight change in her routine can change the course of the day instantly. When Lauren came back to check on us, I asked her if we could order another cheeseburger and if she would just add it to our check. She had a concerned look on her face, so I explained that Ariana has autism and that in her mind, because the cheeseburger was cut in half, she thinks it's broken and she can't eat it. I told Lauren that I know it sounds silly, but if we could just order an additional one, we would gladly pay for it because there was nothing wrong with the one that she originally brought out. Lauren was so sweet and just smiled and went along with Ariana, telling her, I brought you a broken cheeseburger. You know what? I'll have them cook you a new one. I love this because rather than just taking it from the table, she actually told Ariana what she was doing. While this seems insignificant, by her telling Ariana what she was doing, we avoided a meltdown. The manager, Bradley Cottermole, then came to our table, kneeled down and said to Ariana, I heard we gave you a broken cheeseburger. I'm so sorry about that. We are making you a brand new one that isn't broken with some pickles. I'll bring you some french fries to munch on while you're waiting, okay? A couple of minutes later, Lauren arrived back at our table with cheeseburger number two. Ariana said, oh, thank you. You fixed my cheeseburger. When Lauren walked away, Ariana just sat there for a second and looked at her new burger. She looked so deep in thought just staring at it. Then she let out a big, oh, I missed you. And she started kissing the burger over and over again. <laughs> I took a picture of Ariana kissing her hamburger and then showed Lauren the picture. And she said, I think we glorified that cheeseburger too much. She busted up laughing and asked if she could go show her manager the picture. She came back a minute later and said she showed everyone in the back kitchen area too, and that it made them all laugh and smile. I was so touched by this experience, especially since I know people who have been asked to leave restaurants when their child with autism is being disruptive. 
I expected a few different things with this scenario based on past experiences, but I did not expect such kind and compassionate mannerisms from Lauren and Bradley. Everyone from the hostess to the chef played a role in what most people would think isn't a big deal, but this entirely shaped how the rest of our day would go. I knew a cheeseburger cut in half literally could make or break our day. In this case, thanks to the professionalism of the crew in Midvale, it made our day. And I'm sure Ariana brightened up at least one of the employees' days with her silly little personality. Thank you. I love that. They did not have to just give her another cheeseburger because she was offering to buy one, but they did and did it with a great attitude. That reminds me of something that happened when Will was a baby, and I didn't recognize it at the time, but somebody was filming. Maybe Chad was filming it. I don't know, but I watched the video years later. Years later, I watched this video, and I guess I'd never watched it. And Will was sitting in his high chair. We were at at my dad and my stepmother's house, and he was sitting in his high chair, and I was making him a waffle. And he was so excited. You could see his little hands. He was just, and I wasn't even paying attention to him. I was just talking to Glenda, my stepmother. And I had the waffle and I'm walking over to him. And you know how they look excited? Like, oh, it's waving his little hands around. Right, right. The waffle, still not looking at him, just talking to whoever I was talking to. And I tear it into pieces right in front of him and put it on the high chair tray. I wasn't looking at him. His face crumbled. Because you broke it into pieces. I broke it. And he started, he got hysterical and started to scream. And I was like, why is this child melting down? But I didn't realize why until years later when I watched that video. And it was so obvious. I broke his waffle. And he was mad. I was like, why is my child so difficult? What is going wrong? But, you know, they can't communicate. But then Ariana was able to communicate that her burger was broken. I know. Kids are funny. Like if you give them a broken cookie. They don't want the broken cookie. They want the real cookie. He did not want me to tear up that waffle. Like literally he was excited as I was walking over and you could just see the tantrum come over him as I tore it into pieces. (laughs) (laughs) The moral of the story is do not break your child's food (laughs) (laughs) unless they want you to. (laughs) It's true. Yeah. I guess unless they ask you to cut it up, leave it whole. Make sure you have it like triangles, squares. How would you like it? That's true, too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, listeners, we need your stories. Send your good news story to connect at lifelessonscommunity.com. We want to hear about companies that have given you exceptional customer service. Give a shout out to a special someone in your life. Tell us an amazing story or share anything that might be inspirational to fellow listeners. We look forward to hearing from you and sharing your good news in an upcoming episode. Before we get to the life lesson this week, I would just want to take a minute to tell you about one of the companies that makes it possible for us to keep bringing you the podcast. And today I want to talk about my favorite beauty counter. People constantly comment on my complexion. Uh, Just the other day, I was at a jewelry store getting my prongs checked on my rings. And so I'm over ooing and aahing over diamonds. And the lady said, I'm over here envious of your complexion. You have the clearest, most luminous skin. Here's the truth, though. I didn't until I changed my skin routine to beauty counter. I had dark spots from years of sun without sunscreen. They were most noticeable on my cheeks, but also on my forehead and upper lip. Since I started using beauty counter, they are faded to where you can barely see them. I credit the all bright line for fading them. It's rich in brightening and dark spot lightening ingredients like vitamin C, turmeric, 
niacinamide, and glycolic, lactic, and phytic acids. Best of all, unlike some products that claim to lighten dark spots, it doesn't contain any harmful ingredients like hydroquinone, a cytotoxin which can actually cause rebound hyperpigmentation, which you do not want. No. (laughs) So right now for the holidays, they have a special gift set with all three items in it in a smaller size for a special low price. And if you would like to learn more or even ask me any questions, visit beautycounter.com slash Sherry Bullock, S-H-E-R-I-B-U-L-L-O-C-K, or email me at sherry at lifelessonscommunity.com. And that was the all bright line. Yes. It is amazing. I've seen the difference in your skin. And you really did. You had all those brown spotches, like mm-hmm. splotches everywhere. And now you you don't. I really don't. I mean, I still have a few on my cheeks where if I don't have makeup on, you can kind of see them. But once I put a little makeup on, you don't notice them at all. Yeah, not like before. Mm-mm. And now it's time for our life lesson of the week. This week, we are going to talk about the importance of interpersonal skills and how they impact our personal and professional lives and how we can build better relationships and networks. We are joined by Travis Chapel, founder and CEO of Guestio and the host of Figuring It Out. He's married to his high school sweetheart, Jacqueline, and father to Cameron and Cassidy. In his 20s, he found himself in a career that just wasn't fulfilling him, and at one point found himself jobless, frustrated, and with a degree that wasn't really useful. It was then that Travis grew interested in personal development and started to learn all he could, eventually starting a podcast and sharing this passion with others. He joins us today to share what he has learned on his journey, what he wishes he had been taught, and what he can teach you about why relationships are so important. Welcome, Travis. Hey, how's it going? Thanks so much for having me. It's great to have you here today. So before we get into your background and your story, what is the biggest lesson you would like to share with our listeners today? And just jumping right into it. I love it. Biggest lesson to share would probably be to always have patience, but always be urgent. And it's one of those kind of life dichotomies because I'm a big believer in long-term Uh, success versus short-term success. But I also think that you should act with urgency on a short-term basis in order to be able to continue reaching your goals. I love that. A mastermind that I'm part of, one of our our key principles is take imperfect action, but just take action, right? Yep, exactly. Do it. You can't just sit around. You could sit around and do nothing for a year, and but just take imperfect action. But also have patience, right? That's why I say both are important. It's a, you got to be patient yet urgent. It's like you, you got to solve, like, most people, you know, you've heard the quote, most people overestimate what they can do in one year and underestimate what they can do in 10 years. And I think that's true more often than not. If people want the result when they start taking the action, they want to see the result in six months. And when it doesn't work, they're like, oh, this doesn't work or it's a scam or whatever. And I'm just going to go back to doing what I was doing before. And it's like, no, this is going to take some time. But you have to act every day as if you don't have a lot of time for to make it that way. That really resonates with us, with me. I mean, I'm sure Jen is going, uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, we are active in a, a private community for intermittent fasters. And it's funny how many people come in and after three months, they're like, I haven't lost 80 pounds. And we're like, well, that's not realistic. So let's set some realistic goals. you know. And then it's like, well, I didn't do good this week. So I just threw in the towel. And it's like, and people kind of defeat themselves just by not focusing on the big end goal and realizing that, like Jen and I were just talking a few minutes ago, like 
your success is paved with all these little failures. You've got to get through them to get to the end goal. Yeah. A lot of people either do one or the other. They're either too patient where they're like, oh, I got time. I got time. I don't have to do it today. Let's do it tomorrow. And then tomorrow is always tomorrow and it's never today. And then that just prevents them from ever seeing any results ever. Or they're the person that's like, oh, they, they want to get rich quick and they want to see the results happen in three months and they want to lose the 50 pounds in a week. And, you know, and even if they do those, even if they push themselves like crazy, they don't do it in a sustainable way. And then all the weight they just lost is back on in six months because they will go back to their old habits because again, they're not solving for the long term. So to me, it's like, you have to have patience. You have to, you have to make the majority of your decisions thinking about what your five year from now self, your 10 year from now self, 15 year from now self is going to thank you for. You have to learn how to make decisions that way, but you also have to wake up every day and be urgent about the task at hand and the mission at hand uh, because there's always going to be setbacks and there's always going to be failures. And even if you think you can do it in six months, it's probably going to take you three years or four years or seven years. And so you, you got to be committed to that long term, but you have to be urgent in your everyday action. So I hear you saying, basically, you have to be an active participant in your goals every single day. Yeah. You can't just put it on cruise control and think it's going to happen, right? There's no neutral. Like think of it like it's like success. It's not, it's not a flat road. Like if you put your car in neutral and you're on a flat road, you stay still. Or you put it in reverse, you go backwards, you put it in drive, you go forward. Like success and, and your goals and, and everything, you're on an incline. If you put the car in neutral, you're sliding backwards. You may not be racing backwards, but you're going backwards. So every day you don't go forward is a day that you don't go is a day that you do go backwards. It's no, there's no neutral. So it's up to you on making today a day that you move forward or making today a day that you move backwards. I love that. So you started out, you had a, a career that you found was not working for you in your 20s. I think probably a lot of people find that to be be true for them. They're, they're just not fulfilled. Can you tell us a little bit about that time in your life? Yeah, sure. So it started with just the idea that I grew up extremely religious in a kind of fundamentalist Christianity type of a setting. And not to get into all of that entire topic, but essentially what that meant for me was that I graduated kindergarten on the same campus I graduated college. And so the church had a K through 12 school. They had a college, purely ministerial college. And so when I was in high school, there wasn't any, there was no career counselor. There was nobody letting us know that what options were out there. Entrepreneurship was never a thing. They didn't talk about if you want to be an engineer, you got to get these grades and go to this school and excel in these subjects. If you want to be a doctor, if you want to be a lawyer, you want to be whatever. It was just like, do you want to be a ministry? Or do you not want to be a ministry? And if you do want to be a ministry, they wouldn't give you any other options of any ministerial colleges. They would just give you an application to the college that was on that campus because why would you go anywhere else? And if you don't want to go into ministry, they would just go, good luck. And so the majority of people in my class ended up either at the college for ministry or at the local junior college because that was the only thing that they were qualified to go to or in the military. That was 90% of the people that, that went to that school ended up either at the ministry college, the junior college, or in the military. And so I ended up in ministry college and I was, I'm very much a person, if I'm in something, I'm all in on it. By the time I graduated, I uh, realized I didn't really want to be doing that anymore. So it was, it was kind of like identity crisis number one of something that I thought I was going to be doing for the rest of my life from the time that I was 12 is when I committed to doing it. So from 12 on, I thought that was it. And when I realized that wasn't it, it was already, you know, it was scary moment number one. And at that point, I didn't know what else to do because, you know, employers aren't necessarily lining up when you have an unaccredited Bible and church ministries degree, give you a job out of college. And so it was like, well, I either start at the very bottom and work for $32,000 a year working for a boss that I don't respect or appreciate that tells me when I can and can't take off and when I can and can't go to the bathroom and stuff like that. Or I do something for myself and I figure something else out. And so in, in college at the time I had done door to door sales to make extra money in college to buy my engagement ring for my girlfriend at the time became my fiance and then my wife before I graduated college. 
and then you know do different things like that. So when I graduated college, that was something that I already had some experience in. I was already excelling at that I kind of enjoyed in terms of like the selling aspect, the managing people, recruiting and and training people and all that kind of stuff. So I was like, I'm just going to do this door-to-door thing for a little while. And at the time, I thought it was going to be the thing that I was going to do for a long while until I had some success with it. And the first year that I was full-time in door-to-door, I was 22, turned 23 that year. And I made six figures for the first time. And it was like a big goal of mine to, to cross six figures. And when I crossed six figures, I realized two things. Number one, six figures isn't that much money. I was like, this goal that I've had you know, for a while as a young person, I realized like quickly. And I was in Southern California and you know, six figures is just like a... It's like a buried entry almost. So I, I realized it wasn't that much money. And then the second thing I realized was that I don't want to be doing this when I'm 33. It's fine as a 23-year-old. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. It's the only thing I'm really good at that I know that I can make this much money doing. But at the end of the day, I don't want to be doing this when I'm 33. And so that was even a lower moment for me because it was like the thing that I'm qualified to do with this degree and the thing that I'm skilled at doing, I know I don't want to do either one of those things. And now I have a wife and I have, we, we bought a house. And so I had a mortgage to pay and I had bills and insurance and like I was a full on adult and I wasn't sure how I was going to make money and what I was going to do with my life. And so I felt like I was doing the work of a 14 year old or 15 year old when I was 23 or 24 and had no idea what I was going to be doing next. And so that was like the time in my life where I was just like, I don't know. I don't know what's happening. Everything's wrong. So you said when you were like 12, you pretty much decided you were going to go into school of ministry. Is that something you really had a passion for or were you just following the path that was laid out for you? Yeah, it was both, you know, uh, like that's why I emphasize that I like the place that I went to school is the place that I went to church and the school there. It was your community. Yeah, it's everything. The K through 12 school there was closed enrollment, meaning that the only people that could send their kids to the school were people that were members of the church. So you couldn't even enroll your kid there if you wanted them to go to a private Christian school and you went to another church that was not allowed. Like you had to be a member of the church in order to put your kids in the school. And so it was like the people in the local community call that place the compound because it's a 40 acre campus. There's a 7,000 member church. At the time when I was in college, it was almost a thousand students in the college. The K through 12 had like 400 kids. There's like a publication ministry. They put out books and CDs and music. It's like one of the leaders of the entire fundamentalist movement that we were a part of. And so everything in my life was that. Like my friends, my church friends were my school friends. My teachers were my youth pastors. My youth, my ministry leaders were my coaches, my sports. Like everything was in that world. And so, yeah, it was the only thing that I knew. And like I said, I'm an all-in kind of a person. That's just who I am in, in life in general. I think it's part of my personality type. And so when I was in it, I was all in it. But looking back, it's like there's so many persuasion tactics at play throughout the, it's, it's a massive funnel. And there's so many marketing things that are happening in like when I dedicated my life to ministry or whatever, it was like at a youth conference, there's 3000 kids from the entire country that come out the entire world that send their kids to that college's youth conference. And then my pastor's doing the closing keynote at the conference, the closing you know sermon at the conference. The, the sermon is entitled, Who Will Go? There's a 45 minute invitation at the end of the sermon, 45 minute invitation, meaning that like that was the time where it was the altar call where they, where they say, if you want to dedicate your life to the ministry, come up here, come up here. And then if you were dedicating your life to the ministry, you got to stand in the choir loft in front of the entire crowd as somebody who dedicated their life to the ministry type of a thing. And then the song that they sang on repeat, like there was a live ensemble on stage singing the song 
Here am I, I will go. Very persuasive. It was called Here am I, I will go. And then you get to go up and get the social status of being in front of everybody. They're playing this like this music that makes you want to do it anymore. People are crying and hugging. They're bringing people on stage. You're signing your life away on this little commitment card. And then this juniors and seniors would be given an application to the college. So it was one of their big recruiting tools for the college. So that was really your identity at that point. Oh yeah, it was everything about who I was. Absolutely. And I think most kids who were not in your situation as they're growing up, they have these ideas in their head of like what they want to be when they grow up. But you kind of from the age of 12 thought you had it figured out. So now you're 23 and you don't want to do door to door sales anymore. It was kind of like starting from scratch and figuring out kind of who you are and where you wanted to go, I imagine. It was, it was an identity crisis for sure. Like I just didn't know who I was at that point. I was like, what, who, who am I? What am I doing? How am I going to navigate life? And like at that point, I'd always thought it was going to be something in sales, but what ended up happening was I think either I was too young or too inexperienced, but I applied for all these like more corporate sales jobs that were like kind of quote unquote real jobs with salaries and company cars and company leads and all that kind of stuff. And nobody would hire me, which at the time was amazing to me because like if I were a manager at a company and a 23 year old kid who just made six figures and 100% commission door to door sales wanted to sell for me, I'd be like, you are hired on the spot. Nobody would hire me. And it was just this kind of the shocking thing. So I was like, what am I doing? Am I even good at this? How do I get, where do I go from here? And so like, I looked at everything at the time. Like I was looking at FBI applications. I was looking at what it looked like to get into the fire department. I was like, I just didn't know what, who I was or what I was trying to do. So what did you do? You moved into being an entrepreneur, obviously. How did you make that jump? So I was going door-to-door for a while. I quit door-to-door because one of those things, like if you're in 100% commission sales and you you can't just show up to the office and, excuse my French, but you can't half-ass it. You can't show up to the office and be like, ah, you know, I don't really want to be here. I'm just here to collect a paycheck. It's like, if you're 100% commission door-to-door, if you come to the door with that attitude, you make $0. You don't make half dollars. You make $0, you know? So I just, I stopped. And for the first time in my life is when I dove into personal development. I was just kind of like searching for like, what am I supposed to be doing here? What am I doing next? I, I didn't really feel comfortable talking to anybody in my life about it at the time because the majority of my circle was still the circle that I grew up with and they were all wanting me to be in ministry. And so like, it was kind of just a lonely period. I just dove for the first time, like I said, back into personal development or not even back the first time ever dove into personal development. Started picking up some books, watching some YouTube videos, listening to some audiobooks. And then the first time that was when I first came across podcasts. Okay. So you started listening to podcasts. And who was instrumental that you were listening to or reading during that time? Yeah, there were several people that I listened to, subscribed to at the time, kind of the stereotypical ones that have been around for a while Gary Vaynerchuk, Grant Cardone, Tim Ferriss, Lewis Howes. But in terms of like biggest influence in actually starting the podcast was John Lee Dumas of Entrepreneurs on Fire because he had a big podcast education community and taught people how to, how to start podcasts. And I was listening to his show all the time. He would talk about this podcast education course that he had. It was totally free for his listeners. And I was like, okay, I'll go check that out. So kind of got the bug to start podcasting because I, I always had kind of like an affinity for writing, I think, when I was in um, high school and college. Like I, I wouldn't say that I'm really good at it. I would just say like when I would look at other people's reports and projects, like mine just read better and I would get better grades on writing projects if I put my mind to it, but I didn't enjoy writing. So when I heard about podcasting, it was like, oh, it's kind of like putting out content like a blog, but it's just spoken. It's like a radio show that I can do online that I can do by myself and allows me to connect with people. That seems cool. I can make money from it. That seems cool. I can do it from anywhere. That seems cool. I had like several things that I was looking for. I I wanted ultimate freedom, location freedom, time freedom, and financial freedom. And door-to-door offered me time freedom 
uh, to a certain extent and financial freedom. I was making decent money and I decided when to work and when not to work because 100% commission, they can't tell you when to work. But if you don't work, you don't get paid, right? So I had some freedom in regards to those two things, but location freedom was non-existent because if I was gone, I couldn't make money unless I had a team back there or I like owned the business. But then if I own the business, that's a different skill set than just selling. I have to learn operations. I have to learn management. I have to learn hiring and firing and HR and all this other stuff. So I was like, okay, checks off all my boxes. Seems like it'd be a good opportunity. People, the earning potential is extremely high. That was like something important to me. It was like, if I don't do super well, I can still be a six-figure podcaster. If I do really well, I can be a seven or multi-seven-figure podcaster. And in some cases, we've even seen multi-eight-figures and nine-figure podcasters now. But there's a fair amount of seven-figure and a lot of six-figure. So it's like, even if I kind of don't reach where I want to go, it still gives a lot of earning potential and checks off all the rest of the boxes that I had. So I was like, let's try this thing out. Let's start a podcast, see how that goes. So when what year did you start podcasting? Uh, I decided I wanted to do it in 2016, and then I did it almost a full year later in 2017 is when I launched. That's when I started podcasting for the first time was also 2017, and now it feels like we were pioneers, doesn't it? Yeah, almost. (laughs) Almost. I think it was like phases. Like I think that we were like three years too late in in terms of being able to see like a windfall of traffic from like top charts and some of the old school methods of growing a show. But I will say we, we still were... You know, I think there were only like a half a million podcasts at the time, and now there's over three million. So we're still, still some of the first few. There's so many podcasts now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We started this one almost two years ago, and it's amazing how many more podcasts are out there since we started two years ago. So just now, yeah. So what has this journey taught you personally? Be open to change and reinvention. My wife and I kind of joke every once in a while because it seems like we've lived like four lives in the last eight years because we had like the phase of growing up and stuff. And then we had the phase of door to door. And then we had the phase of like getting started and on like online where I was still because when I started my podcast, I got back into door to door because I still needed to make money and you don't make money day one on a podcast. Oh, yeah. Because when you start a podcast, you're not monetizing it on day one. Right. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> and I knew that like being successful with the show wasn't an option for me. I knew that I was going to do it. So I knew that I had to invest heavily into myself, into my education, into my relationships. And door to door was a, a good way. Like I could go, I knew that I could go out in two or three weeks, knock some doors, make 10, 15, 20 grand in that time period, and then take the next couple of weeks to just focus back in on the show. And then I was able to invest in programs and buy certain things and put some money into my website or whatever. So I treated it like a business from day one, but I wasn't able to go full time until about 13 months into it. So I was still doing door to door on the side for you know a year and a half leading up to being able to, to quit finally. So we have a lot of members in our Facebook group. They'll come in and they'll say like, you know, I'm getting ready to turn, they're, they're having that I'm turning 40 sort of identity crisis. And they're like, I've been doing this for, you know, since I graduated college, it's not fulfilling me, but it pays the bills and I don't know what else to do. Or on the flip side, you have a lot of women who are like, I went to college, I got a degree, but then I had kids and I stayed home and I've never used it. And now I don't know what to do. What do you think the first step is in having these people like really figure out how to change their life? And not be stuck. Yeah, that that's so tough because it's different for different age groups. So if we're talking about like middle-aged people who have a family and they have bills and things like that, the advice looks much different than it does if you're 22 and you're single and you're just out of college and you don't have any responsibilities. So let's pretend we're talking to the more difficult advice crowd. This to me is a matter of how big your pain tolerance and risk tolerance is. Like you have to look at your pain and your risk on a scale. And that should inform how you're going to tackle what you're going to do next. Because if you have 
a high, if you have a really, really low pain tolerance for the, what you're doing right now, like you absolutely hate it, it's soul sucking and you just can't stand doing it anymore, then you should find a way to make money that is not necessarily directly tied into your passions. You should just find something that you know is a duplicatable, repeatable way to go make money so that you can leave whatever it is that you're doing right now and free up your mental space and energy to focus on things that are more important to you. Like I started a software company with this new innovative idea and like half the time I'm like, man, it, this was a dumb idea for my first like big risk at business because there's so many other repeatable, duplicatable business models that are out there that don't take much to allow you to be able to leave your job because most people are still making less than six figures in their job. So it's like if you can sell a product or a service or a program or something that you can sell, if you're a coach and you sell two $5,000 coaching packages every month, you're making 10 grand a month. That's better than working for somebody else doing something soul-sucking at you know $65,000 a year or whatever. But my personal thing would be like start an agency start a home services business or get into affiliate marketing. Like start with something that doesn't require a ton of investment up front, but that does require a little bit of labor that you can give somebody back their time. Those businesses are, like I said, easily duplicatable, easily repeatable. You may not be passionate about editing podcasts, but if you can learn on the side how to edit a podcast, you can build a six-figure business in six months and quit your job and make, you know, $11,000 a month and have two VAs working for you and you make... $6,500 a month in profit or whatever. And VAs, for people who don't know, those are virtual assistants. And you can hire virtual assistants and they do all sorts of things for and you. And they're in the Philippines or they're in Latin America, Central America, and they work for $8 an hour or less. A lot of people in the Philippines are working at $2.50 an hour, $4 an hour. And it's a great wage for them, by the way. You're not just ripping people off. It's a really great wage. They're extremely qualified. They do good work. And you can start a little business like that and divorce the pain of being in what you do full-time. Now, the other side of that is if your pain threshold on what you do right now is kind of neutral and it's just like, ah, it's okay and I and I like the people I work with and it's cool, it's just that I want something more, then in that case, I would not suggest just starting something that's gonna make money. I would start experimenting with things on the side that are very interesting to you or things that you're more passionate about or things that you would like to learn about anyway and dive into those fields, you just got to understand that it's not going to happen in three months. It's probably going to be more like a three-year time horizon type of a deal where you're just kind of like you're exploring some other options. Maybe you take some contract work on the side for some different projects that you think could be interesting to you, but you have to start experimenting and playing in that playground. That's why I like the idea of starting a podcast and why I recommend so many people do that because it's a perfect way to find different potential paths for yourself because you can go interview people who are interesting to you and talk to them about the way that they did what they did and then you can say like, oh, well, that sounds like something that I really want to do. That's the reason I started a software company because I talked to hundreds of business owners on my podcast and I was like, hey, this seems like the most potential like lucrative business that I can start is something in software. And then like a year and a half after I knew that I want to do something in software, then I finally had the idea to start Guestio and then we started development on Guestio a couple months later. So it doesn't all happen overnight at that point. But if you put yourself in the position to receive opportunity then that I think is the most important first step. If, like I said, assuming that you are you have a tolerance for what it is that you're doing right now, um, then the other side of that is your risk tolerance. So, like, if you're the like I'm the type of person that was just like, if I'm not enjoying what I'm doing, even if it's something that I can stand, I'm out. Like I'm I'm done. 
and but I have a high risk tolerance. So like all I'm willing, like when I started my podcast, I had a I, I pulled out a zero percent interest credit card. Okay. I'm not recommending anybody go get themselves in dumb debt. Okay. But I pulled out a zero percent interest credit card that had a forty two thousand dollar credit limit and I filled it up with events, flights, hotels, masterminds, coaches, knowledge, information, like never be afraid to invest in yourself when it comes to your knowledge or when it comes to your connections, like your competency, which would be your knowledge or skill set, And then the connections that you have, the people in your network, if you marry those two things, you'll never lose a dollar investing into yourself. That's, that's absolutely true. You know, I mentioned that I'm part of a mastermind now and I had no idea, like I did all this like alone wandering through the wilderness. Just I, I made some really lucky choices along the way, but having a network now has really changed a lot of things. And, you know, like it's, it's inspired me to do some new things that are, are coming up along the way. So it makes a big difference. But prior to what I'm doing now as a writer and a podcaster and working for myself, I was an elementary teacher for 28 years. I was told where to be, when to be there. I got a W-2, you know, I withheld from my pay. The first year that I worked for myself and had money come, my accountant, I didn't know what to do. He's like, have you been paying, you know, estimated? I'm like, what? Yeah, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> Who's going to do the W-2? No, it's not like that at all. So you have to learn a whole new skill set when you're starting a business that, you you know, you don't have when you're just working for someone who issues you a paycheck, right? Yeah, people always <laughs> ask about like, hey, what's the best investment I can make? And it's like, well, how much money do you have? And it's like, well, I have... $8,000. And it's like, well, you don't have enough money. Stop worrying about Bitcoin. Stop worrying about real estate. Stop worrying about any of these things. The number one investment you should make into yourself if you have less than 50 grand or less than 100 grand in your bank account is you. Because you don't really have an investing problem or a spending problem. You probably have an earning problem. You probably are making too little money. And unless you want to cut all expenses from your lifestyle, and like I said, this is why my device is different for a 50-year-old with a family than it is for a 22-year-old that's single with no responsibilities because those two situations are completely different situations. One of them, like if you're 23, in my opinion, is like discover whatever, like be on a path of discovery, have zero expenses, don't get a crazy, don't get in, don't go buy stupid things, get yourself in debt and make it to where now I have to make $7,000 a month because my rent is this, my utilities are this, my three car payments are these, like cut all your expenses, cut everything out that you possibly can cut out and focus on like finding a path that's going to allow you to capitalize on things that you're actually interested in because you'll always be more successful in things that you're interested in. Because if you would do it for free and you start making money doing it, then a lot of times you're a little bit happier um, doing that thing. I do think we tend to pigeonhole kids like as we raise our kids. My son is getting ready to turn 23 next month. And one thing I did not, I never pushed college on him, right? Because he's just not a student. That's not his thing, right? And so he has done a different job about every year since graduating from high school. And he actually worked for SpaceX down in Texas for a while. And, you know, he thought he wanted to be a full-time, you know, welder. And he got down there and was welding for SpaceX. And he was like, you know what? I like to do this as a hobby, but I don't want to do this every day. It takes the fun out of it. How would you know if you didn't do it? Right. Right. And so then he quit there and he went and worked for this company that outfits helicopters and makes these special helicopters, you know. Well, by doing that, he realized that he really has a passion for aircraft. And so he actually finally, the week he turns 23, is going back to school for airframe and power plant to learn how to work on airplanes and helicopters and that sort of thing. But I mean, it took him years to really kind of hone that in. For the longest time, he thought he was going to be a lineman. And the only thing driving that was money, right? It's not that he wanted to work out in the 
exposure to cold and wind and rain and blizzards. He was just, in his mind, he needed to make a lot of money. But I think in his heart, he knew it wasn't for him or he would have gone to school a long time ago. So the other piece of advice that I would give to your son or anybody in your son's situation is don't just look for what you want to do. Look for a who that does that thing that you would work for regardless of how much money you made. Like my thought is like now, I just turned 30 a couple months ago. And my thought now on your 20s is like, learn in your 20s, earn in your 30s. Don't focus on how much money I can make at 23, 25, 29. Focus on like, if all things were even when I turned 30, how much more of an advantage will I have when I'm 30 than me being 24 if I work for this particular individual or this particular person? So like the interest is great. And you, you know, you find out like, oh, I want to work on this thing. Well, go find the company that's doing the most business or doing things the way that you think they should be done and figure out a way to work yourself into the highest level rooms at that company and do whatever you can for them. Work for free if you can afford to. If not, like be their chief of staff, be their assistant, be the water boy, be the, like if you can't buy your way into a room, be the person serving drinks is kind of like the the old, you know, statement is like, in my opinion, like getting yourself connected to and plugged into networks of people that are seeing success at a rate that you can't even comprehend right now, just getting into those rooms, like being their videographer, posting on their social channels for them or responding, helping them respond to emails, like do something to get around people like that. I think the who matters even a little bit more than the what, because sometimes the who can help you figure out that the what isn't even the the problem or the what isn't even the solution. It's just like you get around somebody who you deeply respect, who you think like, man, in this particular area, I would trade positions with them. If I could guarantee my life ended up like that, I would be stoked. Find a way to get around those people uh, because those people will help you discover more about how to get to where you want to go rather than just being like, oh, this is just that this is the thing that I want to do. This is the what that I want to do. It's like, but who's the who that will help you figure out more of that? Uh, because it'll always accelerate their learning curve. And like I said, even if you don't make that much money for the first six, seven, eight years of, of, of putting in time there, it's like, imagine the knowledge that you get from hanging around those people. Imagine the access that you have from those conversations. Like, especially if they're abundance-minded people, they're going to put you on, like they're looking for the next generation to share stuff with. The only problem with culture and society to me when it comes to rich people is they always make rich people look like the a-holes who are selfish and they only look out for themselves in my experience, all the rich people and wealthy and successful people I've gotten around are some of the most giving and caring people that I've ever met. The problem is that they, since their time is so limited, they cannot give it to everybody. They will only give it to certain people that they know aren't going to waste it. And so if you can prove that you're going to be one of those people, exactly. If, you're, if you can prove that you're going to be one of the people that actually does the things that they ask you to tell you to do, they love to do that. They want to have an impact. They want significance. They want legacy. They want to share what they've learned. But you have to prove that you're somebody that's worthy of being shared to for them to do it. I help new podcasters all the time. You know, my my most successful podcast, Intermittent Fasting Stories, you know, we had 550,000 downloads last month. It's a very successful podcast, but I will help any new podcaster who I've helped several people start podcasts over the years because it's just so fun. And that I might not just that sounds rude, Sherry. My very successful podcast, <laughs> Life Lessons, is a lot smaller, but I love it. It's so much fun. <laughs> it's my vacation podcast, right? Well, that's the problem though. Is like I, I've had a bunch of people reach out, and at the beginning, I used to get like I, I was just flattered that people wanted my advice. You know what I mean? 
the beginning. So I would jump on calls with anybody. I'd be like, oh yeah, I'll help you do this, help you do that. And then like seven months later, they'd get another call with me and they did zero things that I asked them or told them to do. And they're still complaining about it. Everyone like, I've talked to has done. done it. Like, no, I'm not going to keep jumping on free calls with you for you to not do anything. Like you're only wasting both of our time right now. So like, uh, and that was one of the first times I remember having empathy for everybody. I was just like, oh, I get it. This is why people can't just say yes to things because not everybody is going to take their time seriously. And if they don't know me from Adam and there's no reason for them to jump on a call with me, then I have to find a reason to give them to jump on a call with me or I have to prove something to them. Like you have, you can't waste busy people's time. It's like the worst crime that you can commit against somebody who understands the true value. That's of their very time. true. Well, and I'm a, vi- I'm a big action person. So you can want something all day long, but unless you're taking action to like actually achieve what it is you want, you're just treading water. You're not going anywhere, right? And eventually you're going to drown because you're going to exhaust yourself. There's a great illustration uh, for that that um, um, I heard from Jay Papazan. He's the president or vice president of Keller Williams uh, Real Estate, one of the largest brokerages in the country. And he's like the co-author and editor and stuff of all of Gary Keller's best-selling books. And so really interesting guy, really interesting conversation. And that was one illustration that he brought up that I've never forgotten. Uh, because the pro- the problem is with with what with what most people look at Sherry when it comes to action is like they think that clarity comes before action when in reality action comes before clarity and this is why people just sit on their hands because they're like well I don't really know what I want I don't really know what I'm going to do and it's like nobody knows what they want man just you got to do something you got to just do it you have to just take those chances you got to do something and move in a direction so the illustration that he gives is in the water like imagine you're dropped in the ocean and you look all the way around you and you can't see any sign of land at all but you know that there is land just beyond your sight in one of the directions in the water two types of people one person will be paralyzed by the fear of taking the improper action and they'll just kind of look around in circles and look back and forth and wonder which way to go and ultimately they're going to get tired of treading water and they're going to drown in the middle of the ocean The second type of person immediately starts swimming in a certain direction. When they're about 50 yards out and they realize that it's not that direction, they'd stop, they turn around, they come back and they go another direction. But ultimately, they're going to find the place that they're going first. Now, can you get lucky and find it on the first direction that you take? Yes, you can get lucky. And that does happen for some people. But you cannot bet on that happening for you. You have to be willing to take the action, understand that it's going to be like kind of a waste of time, quote unquote, waste of time because you just wasted a bunch of energy moving in this direction, realizing that it's not the place you want to go. And you have to swim all the way back to where you started and then go in a different direction. But if you look at that over like a large enough sample size, the person that takes action will always find success faster than the person who's paralyzed by inaction. Because if you don't ever do anything, nothing will ever happen. And the clarity usually comes after. You'll, you'll never get anywhere. If you don't go somewhere, you won't get there. You can't learn and grow if you don't make mistakes. The clarity comes after the first step. You won't see the third step until you take the second step. You won't see the fourth step until you take the third step. Like You're just going to have to start moving and understand that part of the game is failure. Part of the game is wasting time. Part of the game is experimentation. That's all part of it. It's not like this bad thing that you're just somebody who's unlucky. It's like, no, this is part of the equation to success. This is like, this is part of the deal. If you want it, you're going to have to go through some of this. What's that saying? Luck looks an awful lot like hard work. Is that something like yeah, that? Yeah. Right? The, hard, the harder I work, the luckier I get. Yeah. yeah, it's true. I just saw some quote recently and I don't know like 
it could be totally made up, but it said something about only 7% of us are lucky. The other 93% just work hard or something. And I thought, yeah, that is really true. I mean, sometimes you just happen to luck into something and the rest of the time you're out there, you're working for it. I do believe luck and timing play a role in success, especially like astronomical success. Luck and timing will always play a role. But my thing is like, who's more likely, like you take two people, neither one of them have ever played baseball and you give them a bat and you start throwing pitches at them. Who's more likely to hit a home run? The person that swings that bat 5,000 times or the person that does it 10 times? Like you're just giving yourself a higher chance of connecting with the ball. Like the luck stacks up where the odds eventually are in your favor to see success because you've just done it so many times. And every time you swing the bat, you learn something, right? That's the problem is like people will take five swings. They've never swung a baseball bat in their life. They step up, they take five swings, they strike out and they're like, this is dumb. It doesn't work. I'm not a baseball player. They immediately go to these like self-destructing and limiting uh, beliefs about themselves when it's like, it doesn't even make sense that you would hit a home run. Like that's ridiculous to think like if you actually think about it, it's ridiculous to think that you have zero experience doing this thing that you're just going to step up to the plate and hit a home run on your first try. Like that's a ridiculous thing to think about. And like if you if you're actually talking about baseball, no marathon runner got up off the couch one day and said, I think I'm going to go run a marathon today. Right. You have to start small. We are almost out of time. I hate to wrap this up because it's such an interesting discussion. But Travis, your podcast is called Figuring It Out. So how can people find you? Yeah. So uh, we should have two shows. One of them is called Build Your Network, which we will be rebranding here in the next couple of months. So be on the lookout for that. But this, uh, and that's the one that has like 800 episodes. It's the one we've been doing for five years. Figuring It Out is more like a fun show uh, that I do with my wife and my podcast producer and content director, Eric. And so we all grew up very similar, the same kind of fundamentalist group. And so Figuring It Out is actually a show that's about figuring it out. It's more like, like we're not coming from a place of authority on the show. We're coming from a place of like, we're just kind of leading the discussion and trying to figure things out. So we talked to different uh, religious leaders, different people that have different backgrounds. We just brought on a, a lady the other day who's now, she's an OnlyFans performer, but she used to be a pastor and like uh, and stuff like that. So we, do, we bring on just very interesting people that have discovered different paths for themselves or are on traditional paths for themselves. And we just want to ask them why. So it's, it's very much built for people who are just kind of like trying to figure life out themselves for parenting or for relationships or for personal development or business or whatever. Whereas Build Your Network's like my business show. So you can find either one of those on either any podcast platform. Build Your Network. Okay. Yeah, that sounds like a good one. Thank you so much for being here today. And I think we've given our listeners a lot to think about. Thank you. Before we get to the listener-led lesson of the week, we want to take a minute to invite you to the Life Lessons VIP community on Circle. Not only can you interact with me and with Sherry in a private online community, you can connect with other listeners and community members. The most fun part about it is the monthly Zoom hangouts. I don't make every one of them. Sherry's always there. She hosts them. I go when I can. But Monthly, we have these Zoom hangouts. All the you know, the community members show up. It's a lot of fun getting to know everybody. And you can join us in this new VIP community by going to lifelessonscommunity.com slash VIP. Choose your monthly membership contribution of $4.99 or $9.99, and you can change to a different tier at the end of any month. You just manage your subscription within the platform. Choose the option that feels like the right value to you. And if you truly get a lot of value from our podcast each week, we would love for you to choose the higher package. The VIP community really does help us fund the podcast, and we appreciate it. You might think, oh, I don't have time to do another you know, community of any type. You don't have to. It, really, it's just a way for you to support the podcast. 
plus the bonus of the Zoom hangout if you'd like to, plus the bonus of the community if you'd like that. But really think of it as a way to support the podcast. So now we have a segment that is our listener-led lesson. It might be a life hack, a book recommendation, a special recipe, a kitchen tip, or anything along those lines. And today's listener-led lesson comes from Kim. She says, I want to start by sharing a quote by Albert Einstein. The only thing that you absolutely have to know is the location of the library. And Kim says, I want to remind listeners to support their local libraries. We live in an age where we can get books and information on demand on our tablets, phones, and e-readers. However, a library is more than just books. Did you know that libraries are an absolutely free resource that people of all socioeconomic classes can not only use to read books, magazines, and do research, But it's also a place where people can access the internet and partake in educational and professional training programs. They also play a role in boosting the local economy. Did you know that 73% of public libraries assist their patrons with job applications and interviewing skills, and 48% provide access and assistance to entrepreneurs looking to start a business of their own? They also help people learn English who are new to America. Many libraries even help improve the health of their communities through health and wellness classes, and sometimes even workout classes. They bring communities together and enrich the lives of everybody in the community, whether they use the library or not. If you have an opportunity to support your local library, please do so, whether it be book donations for fundraisers or whatever the cause. We need to keep our community libraries and resources available for all. That was great. I did not know a lot of that. I think so, too. I didn't realize all that either. And I have to say, it's been a long time since I stepped foot in a library. Yeah, me too. The last time I did is when I wanted to get a new library card so I could check out electronic books. Because did you know you can do that? Uh Uh-huh. Yes. You don't have to go to the library physically and get a book off the shelf. You can check out electronic books through apps. Most libraries let you do that, but you have to have a library card. So I had to actually go to the library to do that. I used to read a lot of books from the library when I moved here. I would go in and get a couple books every couple of weeks. But now I tend to listen to all my books on Audible. Yeah, I don't like to listen. I I mean, I do listen to Audible books. Like I have one right now. I'm listening to Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, Joe Dispenza. I'm listening to that when I'm in my car, (laughs) like when I drive between house and and this house, which is my workhouse when I go back and forth. (laughs) So it's like five minutes at the time or maybe when I'm blow drying my hair on my AirPods. But I really, if it's fiction, especially, I like to read it out of a book. Well, I love to read a book. I'm bad at e-readers. I just don't feel like I ever have time to sit down. I'm one of those people I have to have like a really clear head and I have to just be able to immerse myself in the book. And if I have a lot of distractions, it's hard for me. I end up like, what did I just read? And so I kind of do better with putting my AirPods in because I can kind of drown out the world and listen to the audiobook. And I have a long commute, so it's nice to listen to books on my commute. Oh, yeah, that's true. If I had a commute like that, I would 100% be listening. But you can also check out audiobooks from the library. I'm going to have to look into that. There you go. I did not know that part. Well, at the end of each show, we share a motivational quote from a listener. And today's quote was sent in from an anonymous listener. The quote is, no matter what happens, no matter how far you seem to be away from where you want to be, never stop believing that you will somehow make it. Have an unrelenting belief that things will work out, that the long road has a purpose, and that the things that you desire may not happen today, but they will happen. Continue to persist and persevere. And that was from Brad Gast. 
And the listener wrote, every week I choose a quote for my bullet journal. And I found this one when it seemed like I would never lose another pound. I knew I just needed to keep trying no matter what. And eventually I did find a protocol that worked better for me and I released 10 pounds in a few months. So continue to persist. That's great advice. I have a hunch that I might know who sent that in. I'm not going to say because it's anonymous. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of thought I might know who it was too. Somebody in our Delayed on Deny community that that makes me think of. And I think I know. And I've loved her persistence. It's, it's, you know, just knowing that there is a protocol out there that will will give you the results that you're looking for. You just may not have found it yet. Like what was it Albert Einstein? Who was it? I can't remember. Not Albert Einstein. Who was it that said, I haven't failed 999 times. I've just found 999 ways that it didn't work. Who was that? Right. I don't remember, but I know that quote. Edison. That was Edison. Edison. I was just going to say Edison. Right. You just have found the ways that aren't working yet, but the way that does work is there. You'll just get there. Well, anyway. success is paved on a path of failure. 100%. Anyone who's yeah. ever succeeded at anything failed at a lot of things prior to that. Overnight successes rarely are. <laughs> True. Well, listeners, thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to join us in the Life Lessons VIP community. Go to lifelessonscommunity.com slash VIP to be a VIP podcast supporter for either $4.99 or $9.99 per month. Your support ensures that we can keep bringing you episodes of the Life Lessons podcast each week, and that really is true. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We would love for you to leave a review, especially a five-star review. That helps us reach others. Do you have a story to share for our good news segment, a listener-led lesson, or a motivational quote that means something to you? Or do you have an area of expertise you would like to share as our featured guest for the week as we present our weekly life lesson? Email us at connect at lifelessonscommunity.com and then listen each week to see if we share your story or tip. Until next week, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.